0: Hello and welcome to Indies on Indie. I'm your host, Patrick Poe, and this is my podcast. You know, you're probably subscribed. And if you're not, welcome for the first time ever. I bet you're new because we've got a really cool guest today. Today's a big deal in my mind for the podcast. It's a guest we've been working to get scheduled for like a year now, honestly. We were going to do it last winter before the shutdown happened. We had been trying to schedule it and get it figured out with both of our schedules being freelance artists and then there was a shutdown and then there was the podcast hiatus that I did and uh, then we did it. We did it over Zoom and I'm so glad we did do it because it was an amazing conversation. I could have, this is a long episode and honestly I could have probably talked to him for another two hours. And it would be incredible. And I, I loved talking to him. We talked about such interesting things. There's so much good knowledge and advice. And just he's fun to talk to. I hope I continue to just chat with him throughout forever. Um, so that's, that's exciting. And I'm glad you get to hear it. And get to hear all this knowledge. This is our first episode that's like full recorded from a Zoom interview. The past couple episodes, those guys are podcasters themselves. And so they've got their own audio set up. They were recording and then they sent to me. This is the first one that is fully me recording the interviewer E through Zoom to my Zoom. That's confusing to you unless you know that Zoom is a company that also makes recorders, a different company called Zoom. So that, I'm sorry, I went down that rabbit hole. That was Wow. Okay, let's just ignore that bit. But yeah, so it's the first one that I recorded through Zoom. And uh I think that this is probably this is probably what the podcast will sound like for a little bit as we come back from this pandemic and I keep talking to people virtually. This is what it'll sound like for a bit and it's fine and I think you'll enjoy it. I will also let you know that he does have children. He is a father. And a great one. I got I got to see his kid for a bit on the Zoom call, and that was really adorable. And because of that, you're going to hear them. Uh, you can hear them throughout the interview, kind of tramping about in the house. And then at one point, one of them comes and becomes a part of the interview, and it's wonderful. And you're going to get to experience that in a bit too. So have fun with that. That's going to be really exciting. All right, what do I want to talk to you about today? Got a couple of things to talk to you about. The first thing. I think we should talk about is that who I talked to today is a horror guy and so because of that I watched a bunch of horror and if you guys know me that's not what I watch at all and it wasn't a terrible experience for me I I quite enjoyed what I watched actually and I've been kind of getting into the genre in general and I talked to him about it that I, I watched Halloween for the first time recently I made Lolo sit down and watch it and I'd never seen it and that's what we did on Halloween it was really cute we watched that and then I I actually really liked it and I ended up watching Halloween 2 and Halloween 3 even I didn't really like Halloween 3 I know that's probably divisive it just wasn't it wasn't for me but I've been enjoying them and I'm thinking about watching more Halloween movies maybe watching venturing out into some other horror films so we'll see how that goes I'll I'll keep you updated if I watch any more horror films. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but we'll we'll maybe, maybe. I'll stay open. It might happen. I've also talked about watching new films. I'm very excited. I have a new podcast to announce. Me and Lolo. If you know IX Productions, that's the production company that creates this. It's also the production company that is me and my wife Lola and we are IX Film Productions. We are producing a new podcast. It's going to be the two of us. It's called first timers movie club. It's going to be the two of us showing each other films that are quintessential movie buff films like the films that you should have seen theoretically the movies that everyone's watched or that everyone thinks are great. We're going to watch those movies and we're going to react to them. We're not reviewing them. We're just given our reaction to these films. So that's our new podcast, First Timers Movie Club. It's not even a thing that you can go subscribe to yet, but it'll come out in one week. So we'll start be doing Indies on Indie. It'll come out every other Friday, and then First Timers Movie Club will be on those opposite Fridays. So you can go find that, and we'll post about it on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Follow us in all those places. And with that change, I'm announcing that the podcast will be leaving SoundCloud and we're actually moving over to Spreaker. It shouldn't affect most of you if you're subscribed on iTunes or if you're subscribed on uh, Google or Stitcher or whatever. But if you are a SoundCloud subscriber, new episodes of Indies on Indie, they're going to be on Spreaker. So you're going to need to move over to Spreaker or to a different podcast platform besides SoundCloud. It will all be going somewhere else. So no more SoundCloud. Everything else should be fine. Don't worry if you're on something else. But no more SoundCloud. Go into Spreaker. Because we've got the new podcast. First Timers Movie Club. Super excited about it. Also, we've got the holidays coming up. I just want to talk about that for a minute. I hope that you guys had a good Thanksgiving. A good safe Thanksgiving. I know that the holidays are going to be weird this year. I just want to say that the holidays are going to be different. You're not going to be able to see as much family as you want. You're not going to be able to see as many friends, do the regular holiday parties. But the way I'm looking at it right now and the way I'd like for you to look at it maybe to try to stay more optimistic and happy during this time is that because you can't do anything, just take the pressure of having to do anything off and just enjoy the day. Just have a fun day pressure-free. That's what we did for Thanksgiving and it was an absolute blast. And I'm actually... Pretty excited for Christmas this year because there's pretty much no pressure. And that's nice. So remove the pressure. Have a good holiday season. There should be a new episode of the podcast coming out right around the holidays. Make sure you listen to the new pod. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode today. I talk to filmmaker Patrick Ray. So let's get going. Here's me and Patrick Ray.
1: Hello? Hey! Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty well. How are you doing?
1: Oh, you know, it's been crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. In the scope of things, it's going insane.
1: Yeah, but right. Like, exactly. Like, I mean, if, if you're looking at today as a Monday, it was pretty good.
0: That's exactly. So when you asked how I was doing today for a day, I did pretty well, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, You know, I've been, a, it's a balancing act right now of working on my own stuff and then getting my seven-year-old daughter through her second grade homework. It's like this, cause she's been in virtual second grade since September.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> and now, and, and now the entire school district is, is virtual. So um, it's like, I'm writing and storyboarding and then doing math and you know, it's like this, it's, it's, it's an interesting. And you're balance.
0: learning seventh grade again and, or, yeah, yeah. No, second grade, second, second grade, grade, second grade.
1: So, sorry. Which actually, I gotta say, they're doing some stuff where I'm like, how? Would, I've never seen math done this way. I'm like, how do you? It's just very strange that, that you know the, the new math
0: it. is odd.
1: Yeah, I, it,
0: it doesn't work in my brain. Yeah, and yeah. that's makes it hard. I feel like when you're supposed to like teach it because.
1: Right. Well, and you know, it's just one of those things where like today we, um, you know, the teachers have like maybe two zoom calls with the students a day at the most,
0: you know, that's uh, not bad. I've heard worse. No.
1: I mean the problem, the problem with it is though, cause then they just load up all the homework. So then you mm. like, you, they get each student has an iPad and you're like, how much homework does my kid have today? And then it's just like seven assignments that you have to get done between now, you know, and most of it she can do on her own, but there's some stuff where you're just like, if I'm not, watching her she's watching netflix or she's messing around with like minecraft or something else you know and so you just have to kind of like supervise and make sure that they get through the process otherwise they're just not getting there and then you get emails from the teacher saying uh yeah we haven't gotten the the, this like you know five five assignments from your daughter and you're (laughs) like crap it's my fault
0: I think that's yeah. what I need I need someone to just come watch me to make sure I'm not watching Netflix or playing Minecraft. Like I, right, I need that. I right. know. I mean and I think
1: that yeah, that goes for everybody right now. And you know, I've worked I've worked from home for ten years now. And um but it's different It's so different. Because, because my wife is home too. She hasn't worked at her office in, since April. They sent everybody home in April and they haven't been back. So she's working at home and then I've got my two daughters and it's like madness and I'm just trying to get my own stuff done at the same time and not lose my you know lose my mind and um, I mean
0: I so I I was a freelance artist full-time for four years mm -hmm. and then literally January of 2020 I decided that I was going to start doing just like a part-time gig so I could maybe save up some money to maybe leave Kansas maybe do a bigger project I don't know what but I wanted to just Have some extra. Yeah. And so for some reason, though, when everything shut down, like I'd been at a job for two months, but it felt different being home because I wasn't sure what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? I mean, like I've been doing stand up. I'm an actor. Like I'm a writer. I'm a director. But like I was like, well, when are we going to film again? How are we going to film? right what should i write why does like do i need to do should i write everything with masks like what is the world and so it's it's weird now isn't it
1: it's it's and you and it's this weird thing it was weird before when i was i always tell people when you're you work for yourself you don't know when to stop maybe because you're like oh it's you know five o'clock everybody who has a normal nine to five they're like i'm done at five yeah and me i'm like still tinkering around on things at 8 p.m. And now it's even weirder because it's just like everybody's just kind of in this weird, like, did I do enough work today? Yeah. Or like, You know, it's, it's, just, it's a strange feeling. And so. And also um, part of
0: that day that you used to have is now taken up with being your child's teacher.
1: Right. That's the thing. So then you're like, okay, now there's going to be overflow into like the evening. Cause I'm working on my own stuff and it's like, well, then do, am I being too hard on myself? You know what I'm saying? Am I giving myself enough mental uh, room to kind of handle all the things and stuff? So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. And, you know, we signed her back up for in-person classes in January, but I, I doubt they're going to go back. I think that they'll probably, they probably won't go back. I'm guessing it won't be till fall of next year by the time they actually have. Cause you know, the thing is that like, by the time everybody's vaccinated, it's going to be April. Yeah, and then it's like, and then it's like, what the hell is the point of sending the kids back in April? <laughs> it, you might as well just finish the year out, in, in, you know, the way you've been doing it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm like, should I be writing a horror movie that's set as, as like a virtual learning situation? Like, should I be doing that? You know? Um, yeah. And other people I know have like, they've got it just as bad. And there's some people who like, thankfully, we, I work from home and like. So we had the ability to do this, but then there's some other people when the school district goes hundred percent virtual, what do the parents do that don't work from home? Yeah. Do they have to, one of them have to quit their job. Do they have to hire a nanny? What do they do? Like, how do they get their kid?
0: Well, so that's to do their schoolwork, my boss you know? at the retail place I'm working at is he convinced his wife to quit her job because she also worked retail and he had the better paying job. And he was like, we can't both be at work and school
1: our kid. No, it's impossible. And when you're schooling your kid, it's like, depending on the age, it's also a full-time job. It really is. Like if you're doing, if you have a kindergartner, you're in trouble. And I know I have a friend who's got, they have a kindergartner. Luckily they both, both parents work from home, but one of them is still going to quit their job, even though they're both working from home because they can't get the kid to focus. He hates the zoom calls. They're, you know, piling all this homework on and they, the parent, both parents can't get the, like, yeah, they both work, they both work for farmers. And so they, uh, the insurance company. So it's like one of them is going to quit their job and then focus solely on schoolwork until this is all over. And then, you know,
0: and then you'll uh, see the, what the world's like. Yeah.
1: And it's... I feel bad because I've been terrible at getting back to people. Sometimes people are like, and they are always, it, People without, people without kids are always messaging me. Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I, they're like, we can't get a hold of you. I'm like, that's cause I'm submerged <laughs> and it's like, I'm, you know, it's two full-time jobs that I'm basically juggling on top of everything, you know and then we're doing uh, some renovations to our house on top of it, which was, you know that's one thing that I can say has been okay about being stuck at home is we're like, you know we really, we meant to fix that like two years ago let's do it now let's get it done so you know
0: the living room is the best i've ever had it like it's got the best setup it's ever been in we've got a new piece of furniture it looks the best it's ever looked you're right
1: right exactly exactly it's like yeah now you have time because you're stuck at home but uh i don't know man we'll see what happens and hopefully uh when the vaccine and when biden takes over everything will slowly be getting better maybe i guess i don't know Uh, you know
0: that like yeah that was like my small bit of hope that i've like held on to is like well maybe that'll change enough that something will change and the world will be different yeah because it just it needs to be different
1: well so far we'll see you know once trump is escorted out maybe i don't know like i'm waiting for him to he keeps doing crazy shit and that's the thing it's just like how crazy i just uh, it's baffling to me. And I, of course I expected it. Like, I was like, how is, he's not going to like just say, Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to leave. So yeah, it's been, um, it's been an interesting year. It's been one for the record books. And I, you know, the thing is that like, I keep telling people, I hate to tell you this, but like, just because it becomes 2021, it's not different. It, yeah. It's not different. The, the, the virus doesn't care if the calendar changes. You know, like I, so I'm always like, just, you know, it's a, maybe it's, it's a mindset. People are going to have some positive energy, you know, everybody has positive energy going into the new year, no matter how crappy it it turns out. So, you know, it's been a,
0: a funny thing that like, I feel like the past four or five years, really like probably 2016 was the first one where people were like, oh man, 2016 was so rough. Like luckily it's 2017. And then every year at the end of the year, we get these memes that are like this year was so rough. Oh, I know. What?
1: And then I, I laugh about it. Cause on Facebook, everybody goes, Oh man, I can't wait to get out of this dump dumpster fire of the year. And I'm kind of like, look, here's the deal. <laughs> Your mentality is going to follow you into the next year. So if you're like, kind of always l- glasses half empty, it's not going to change. Yeah. Going in the, into the next year. And so, um, I think, you know, and I'm generally a fairly glasses half full kind of guy. I just have to be because I'm in the film business. And if you're not, you're it's, it's, you know, if you're not going to be looking at the positive side of things all the time, then you're going to be woefully disappointed. In yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean,
0: I, it, it's easy to go like all, I'll easily like full on neurotic, like worry spiral, but sure. like generally I'm pretty positive. Yeah. Like, it's, I've got both, you know? Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I think everybody does to some extent, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll let myself um, full worry spiral. But I also, like, I was talking to a, a KU uh, film professor a couple of years ago about the fact that, like, every film you make, you have to fully believe it's going to Sundance. Yeah. Because, like, if you don't believe that, like... You might as well not put all that effort in. You know what I mean? You got to just be like, well, this is going to be successful. It's going to, it's going to go to Sundance. Everyone's going to watch it. It's going to be the new big thing. Like,
1: yeah, right.
0: Even if it makes no sense, it's full dream believing, but like I'll fully go into that fantasy too. So
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. And I remember because Kevin Wilmot was my professor at KU when I was there and he gave me some pieces of advice when I graduated. He's like, you got to keep a good sense of humor. In being in the film biz, yeah. because otherwise you're going to be like crying yourself to sleep at night, and then he goes, hey, um, don't work for trauma," which cracked me up because I was like, "Well, I like trauma," but uh, uh, he's like, "They don't pay." I was like, "Okay," um, <laughs> but uh, um, no, he gave me a lot of words of wisdom when I graduated because, um, and most of it has been true, you know.
0: I was going to ask, so I didn't, I I know so little about you. So did you? You went to Ku then, yeah. That's where you came from, yeah. Okay. See, so I, uh, I'm a little bit younger than you, and by the time I came into like the KC film scene, you were already like who you are, you know. Like everyone was already like, oh, it's. I'm gonna ask. I feel dumb asking this now. Is it Ray or is that Patrick Ray? Yes. Okay, good. I was gonna yes. say a it. A lot wrong. of people get
1: that a lot of people get that wrong because they're always like Raya. I'm like, no, it's just Ray. It's three letters. It's Ray. And now, a lot of people spell it R A E for some reason. And I'm like, no, it's R-E-A. Um, uh, but people have been mispronouncing it since I was in grade school. So don't okay.
0: worry about it. I had to ask though, because like I'm also I'm gonna record an intro later where I'm gonna have to say your name. Sure. I'm so glad sure. I now know. That yeah. was the most important question in this whole interview.
1: Right, right. right. <laughs> um, I mean that's it's funny because I have a lot of people ask me that. And it's, and it's, uh, for me, it's like, I think I'm okay with people mispr- mispronouncing it. It's when they spell it wrong that it drives me crazy. Cause then it's like, I'm just like, it's only three letters. It's only three <laughs> letters. Don't, it's not that hard, but it gives I'm me fine.
0: anxiety every time I type it, if that makes you feel really? better. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Cause the, cause it's the three letters. And like, I'm a little bit dyslexic. So like, oh. there's wow. always that moment where I'm like, a and E look so similar.
1: Like... <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I see it where they add like an H to it, and I'm like, where the hell did that come from?
0: When you start adding letters, it's pretty obvious yes, that yes, you're insane. Exactly. Yeah. But so, yeah. So, you went to KU Film School? Yeah. Were yeah. you always like, was that always the goal was film?
1: Yes. Um, I grew up in Nebraska, so I grew up in okay. like a small small town in Nebraska. And, um,
0: How'd you I went end up to,
1: here? What's that? How'd you end up well, here at the time? Cause this was the late nineties. Okay. So the late I graduated high school in 98 and I transferred to a, well, first I went to a community college for two years, just to get my gen eds out of the way. So in 2000, I transferred to KU from Nebraska that at the time there wasn't anything, substantial in lincoln or omaha in terms of film school at the time okay. so ku was my best option at that point and it was like because it's kind of close of to home decisions. but it was like, one of the best decisions i ever made because I, I got to work on um csa which was kevin wilmot's first movie yeah. the sundance and um so like i it, you know and i was in school at the same time as jeremy osborne we were all in classes together i don't know if you know do you know jeremy i know
0: jeremy yeah my wife's yeah, worked yeah. with him
1: And then, um, there's like a bunch of people that were all kind of like in the same classes together and stuff. And it was, it was great. It was a good time to be there. And, um, I graduated in December of 2002, um, and then decided to stay in Lawrence. Um, I took a part-time job at the TV station there and just started making my own films and just keep working and making little movies and such. And, and, um, you know, we were shooting on mini DV tape a lot of the times because I, I'd shoot on 16 millimeter if I could afford it, but 90 t- 90% of the time I couldn't afford it. Yeah. So yeah. And so, yeah, like I, and so I met my wife at the, at the TV studio in Lawrence, uh, channel six. And, um, we were both working in production and, uh, so that's how we met. And, um, she quit before I, w- I left though. She quit in like, I think she quit in 2008. She became like um, started working at the arts incubator in the Crossroads. It's now a different place, but it was the uh, art gallery that was down there. So what? What TV uh, station
0: did you work at?
1: Channel Six in Lawrence. It was free. It was called Free State Studios. Okay. They changed their name like three times. Is that?
0: was that news or was that like some sort of like public broadcast type?
1: It was news, but they were also producing like music, te- like mu- music, shows and, and a whole bunch of other things. So it was okay. like, I was, I would be like, I'd do a newscast and then at night I'd go to the Granada and film for the, for the music uh, show called, uh, God, what was it called? The Turnpike. Okay. And, um, and you know, Tony, Tony Ontiveros, right?
0: I don't. So we're Facebook friends. I don't think I've ever actually met him though. So
1: he, he's, you know, he was a few years behind me at KU. He might've graduated in 2005, 2006. But um, he started working at channel six and he was working in a different department than me. But we, he ended up leaving. I left in 2010. I think he left in 2013, 14. Okay. But like a lot of people, it's so funny because a lot of people I work with, on film shoots, I met it I met it through either through channel six or through KU. Um well that was so, going to be
0: one of the the questions is like I watched everything you sent me. Uh-huh. Um the only thing I didn't watch was nail biter. Um I was going to and then I just didn't get around. I just didn't have the time today and yeah it's the only one you have to
1: probably the only one you have to pay for too. <laughs> it, yeah <it's> true. <laughs> it was, it was, for some reason they have not um put that free on like Amazon or Voodoo. You still have to rent it which I don't know what that means. I don't, I don't know. But my, like,
0: My plan today, I was going to rent it. I was like, all right, so I'm going to rent it at like four because that's when I have yeah. time. And then I'll watch it till like 5.30 and then I'll talk right. to you. It'll be perfect. It'll be just fresh. And then my day just kept getting pushed back by that half hour. And by the time it was yeah. like,
1: it's 4.45. And I was like, I can watch half of it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I can still talk about it. We shot, <laughs> we shot uh, that was actually, that movie was made prior to all the rest of the features. So it's um
0: Well so watching everything, I noticed in a lot of the first stuff and even Nailbiter, it's all DP'd by the same person.
1: Yeah, Han- Hanuman Brown Eagle? Yeah. So did you yes. meet him
0: at film school or did you meet him at the news station?
1: So I met him through somebody at Channel 6, but he was working at Platform. I don't know if you've ever heard of that company. I have. I don't even know if it's still I don't even know if it's still around. Platform was a, was a uh ad agency here in town um kind of like T- take 2 was and and um and uh i'm not even sure it's still around but a lot of people came out of that place too so it was like you were either working at channel 6 or platform for a while and then um Outpost had been around and a lot of people were working through them and and um and this was like the early 2000s to mid 2000s at that point and i think the first thing i ever shot with with hanu was um short film in like 2006 and i didn't i didn't send the, i didn't send you everything yeah i, I, wanted,
0: I, I looked at your imdb and i was like oh there's a lot of earlier stuff yeah
1: there's a lot of early shorts and and um they're all like on my vimeo or they're you know, you know it's just it's crazy trying to keep track of everything to be honest with you um and uh some stuff it's so funny because i was just like man you know the raw footage is on mini dv tape how <laughs> the hell would i even get to it now and that's the thing is that like you know, a lot of these movies were shot, like I said, like maybe 2007, 2008, but they were shot in like on a Panasonic HVX on like those, you know, yeah. cards and all the footage you have to have a, either a PC or an, or Avid to open the footage. So it's like, I still have all the footage sa- saved on hard drives, but if I was ever to want to go back and I, and I don't plan on ever doing that, but if I ever wanted to do that, I would be like, all right, I got to buy avid or find somebody (laughs) with avid because nobody i don't know anybody who uses avid anymore at least i mean locally especially i I mean yeah everybody i know either uses final cut or premiere at
0: this point so yeah those are pretty much it that i yeah yeah Yeah. i guess i should go all the way back so before you came to kansas you already wanted to be a filmmaker what started that i'm I'm always intrigued about like what was the thing that you were like i'm gonna do this
1: you know i growing up in a small town in Nebraska, there wasn't a a heck of a lot to do. Um, So I would go to the movies um, or go to the local video stores. We, at the time we had three or four different video stores in my hometown. Um, So- Isn't that crazy? Don't
0: you miss that?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I do. I had to explain it to my daughter like two nights ago. I said, you know, there are these places. I mean, family video is still around, but it's not quite the same.
0: Um, I mean, I'm working at Vintage Stock right now, and I literally watched a dad explain to their probably six-year-old kid like what a CD was.
1: Yeah, what's what? Which Vintage Stock do you work at, Shawnee? Okay, because there's two by me, and I, I go to them all the, like once a week. I'm at Vintage Stock. But there's one <laughs> in Gladstone, and then there's one um, uh, in Zona, Zona Rosa. Rosa. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one. I, that's the one I go to the most. The Zona Rosa
0: um, one's the nicer one. That's a nice. Well, name. and it
1: has my daughter is collecting ties, which are those stuffed tie animals, yep. you know. And so they have like a plethora of them that she's just like, "Oh, I want that one, and I want that one." So, um, yeah, I guess I w- It would go all the way back to being um, in uh, grade school, really. And I just wanted to make movies, and I was telling I would tell everybody that that's what I was going to do. And you know, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, everybody kind of was like, "Sure, sure." That's- <laughs> and at the time i get it you know there wasn't it, like it a, wasn't yeah there wasn't a no way to do it there was no way to do it you know and so it was one of those things where uh my parents thankfully never deterred me from it so they were always kind of like okay you do you we'll help you out i'm like cool and i was like all right well and they got me a video camera so was that um, like a
0: cassette camera or like yeah okay yeah
1: i mean yeah and i think the big uh, surprise was that I somehow could get Super VHS to record with it and at the time I thought I was super cool because I could buy S-Video which was slightly better than VHS and shoot on that and and uh, I mean this was still pre DV and all that stuff so um, this was probably mid to, mid to late 90s at that point and um, where really the bug, I really caught the bug was high school, my high school had a, had its own channel which at the time was very interesting like yeah who has their own so basically if you had cable <clears throat> in my hometown you could turn to channel 99 and it was like a high school broadcast channel that's cool primarily was used for basketball and football games yeah um so this is probably 1997 ish um and uh so that I I was in my I was in like a tech class or video. It became video production at that point for me. And so I, I had my own green screen. and I, st- I started making movies in, in my high school. And then um, I'm not leaving the school. Like the, the janitor would have to kick me out because I, he'd be like, you need to go home because I need to finish cleaning up. So I was like making little spaceships on fishing line and I would shoot them on these green screens and try to do some cool Star Wars, Star Wars effects and stuff. And And it was basically two, you know, big VHS, uh, super VHS decks and a, and a Vidionics switcher. So that I would just be like, oh, I'm gonna, I've got my green screen on one side and my, you know my output on the other. And I would just be doing little effects between the two and adding titles and stuff. And nothing was done with computers at that point. Um, and uh, so I did that. And then I, you know, graduated went to a, a small community college for a couple of years and continued doing um video production and i was filming mostly like any of the musicals or the shows i was acting in some of the musicals and i wasn't acting in the musicals they were they were were (laughs) like they were like murder mystery comedies um but uh so i was I, i continued working there on that stuff and then i when i transferred to ku all of a sudden they were like oh we should be editing on you should be editing in uh, in Premiere. I'm like, what's Premiere? So this was like maybe 2000, 2001 at that point. And I started editing on, on Premiere and, and shooting on mini DV. But then if I had the money, because at that point, um, some of my classes, film production classes, you still had to shoot on 16 millimeter film.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, right now I'm so like, I'm honestly a little jealous of you in the fact that like, I am young enough that like, when I was probably 13 my parents got me a digital camera so it was all sd right. cards and then like when i was in high school it was all to mini dv to the computer right. so like i don't have that like physical relationship and editing knowledge that like
1: you yeah. have with film or even with vhs like
0: real to real vhs like
1: i i mean i was so i did everything on vhs up until my junior year of college, because that's when I transferred to KU. And then they started you out on 16 millimeter in basic film and, and uh, intermediate film, which um, you shot black and white film in basic film, and then you moved to color film. And uh, I mean, it was pricey, it was expensive. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and then, uh, so, so basically at that point, um, mini DV started to kind of become a thing. And I think it was the Canon XL one. One of the video classes got the Canon XL one, which was like the the camera at the time, and um, it was uh, it was pretty impressive at the time. And I think I think Soderbergh used it on one of his movies at that point. I can't remember which one. Might have been Full Frontal. That might have oh, okay. been the movie. And so all of us were either had the GL one or the XL one, which was you know at that point state, state of the art. And then it just kept getting better and better. Um, but if I had the extra money, I would shoot on 16 millimeter. I shot, um, I think the last short film I made on 16 was in 2006. And Jeremy Osborne was actually the DP. And um, it just got so expensive. And, you, you know, and you had to figure out a way to, so you had to get it transferred and, and you know, they'd send back a tape and then you're like, okay, now how do I get this? So then you had to transfer that to a mini DV tape and yeah. so then you could capture it capture that into the computer and it's like i still have the negative and everything and i I kept all that stuff but it's like at some point you're just like okay well how many generations does it take to get this into my computer so i could edit it yeah um so it wasn't the best way of doing things and so we ended up just um continuing to shoot on mini dv and then obviously moved to um the uh the memory cards that were on the were that were in the panasonic hvx i think around 2008 2007 maybe yeah so um at that point i was making short films and still working at the tv studio in lawrence and um uh and then basically playing at film festivals and i started actually going to these film festivals um and trying to kind of build build some awareness of what i was doing i guess
0: when do you start getting into festivals like i know that uh woman's intuition was kind of it's the first thing that's like really in your bio is like a moment and like yeah it got yeah. some no is that like really the first
1: notice that you kind of got yeah i mean we ended up winning a um a heartland emmy with that which was kind of cool um we shot that movie believe it or not on a Vericam, which were bigger tapes um and i think we ended up yeah that was like the only movie i shot with the Vericam. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say that that was kind of, that was the first time I ever worked with Hahnemann Brown Eagle. And that was the first time I ever, that was the first time I paid a crew, which was like this big thing for me. Cause I was like, Oh my God, I finally can pay people. So, um, so yeah, that was definitely a turning point. And so what ended up happening is I started doing some short film work while I was working at the TV studio and they started kind of, um, putting in like a little annual budget for me. Oh wow. To make to make some short films. So and I would put their logo at the beginning whenever they would play. And um so when we won the Heartland Emmy for Women's Intuition, it was the first time that the TV studio had won a Heartland Emmy. Okay. So um so it was kind of like this mutually beneficial relationships. Yeah, so is that, that where
0: had. you got the, like the the ability to pay a crew was from the tv station
1: right right so i was I'll able i it. would put together budgets and then i would say okay at the, at the at the end of you know when they were pitching their new year new year budget i would come in with that and say you know i want to make over the course of the year four short films with xyz and then they would approve or not approve and so for them it was like kind of like cool advertising they were trying to like branch out and and do some different things and and so um having their logo at the beginning at a film festival was kind of cool for them and uh so that's kind of what um and that took me into making Nailbiter, and um which i was able to pull together a fine the financing for through various sources um and uh, we shot that movie man that movie took forever <laughs> uh, we started shooting it in like 2009 and i don't think we had a screenable movie until 2011
0: oh wow that's how i feel with the feature i'm working on right now is i think we started it 3 years ago at this point
1: well and you're you're probably you're you're doing good you're doing good like that you may not feel that way but for your for, it, you know it's it's it takes some time and the thing is that like i think by the time we got so what we ended up finishing the movie in 2011 not doing film festivals until 2012, and then it got picked up, and then the distributor didn't release it in oh, the wow. Redbox till like May of 2013. So by the time like we got done with the process, it was like four years, and I was like, draw okay. something else completely at that point. Right, you're you're so tired of it that you're like, okay, cool, it's out, it's done. I can move on and do something else. And I think um enclosure was the next movie which ended up being retitled Arbor demon despite my protests <laughs> um and that was the next movie i ended up making and i co-wrote that with um michelle davidson who um i don't know if you've do you remember watching casey live when it was on the air did you uh, ever catch it I, I know of casey live
0: i never i don't think i ever actually watched it <laughs> she um, was the
1: host um co-host for it yeah uh, for, for many years and she is a fantastic screenwriter and we uh, co-wrote Enclosure and had full intention to shoot it around the Ozark area. Uh, so we wrote it for the Ozarks. We were going to shoot it um, in that area. And then uh, the financing ended up coming through in South Carolina. Um, and so we ended up shooting the whole movie in Charleston.
0: Yeah. How did the South two Carolina. of you get together to write it? Cause uh, is that
1: the first thing you wrote together? Yeah. I mean, more or less. I mean, we, we had worked on a couple of short films together and, um, so she and I, uh, decided to write this feature together. And, um, I mean, we luckily were able to get financing for it and, um, you know, we shot it, it which it was so strange. We shot it in like the around Christmas time. Um, I can't think it was 2015 maybe. And, uh, It was so weird because I flew into Charleston before Thanksgiving and was, I was prepping the movie and then I left for Thanksgiving and then came back and we shot it in like a 12 day span. It was like, it was six days. Yeah. Six days on one day or yeah. One day off and then another six days on. So it was very fast.
0: That's yeah. That's an incredibly fast
1: shoot. And um, we cast, Fiona Dorif, maybe a week before production, and then like we shot, we got Jake Busey, like maybe two days before we started shooting. it was it was it came together very fast. And that's um,
0: that's a. I had a question about Jake. I have a couple questions about Jake Busey. One is that like, did you know you were going to put a like name in that role, or was that just like, did you luck into getting a name to attach to it? The producers
1: wanted a name, and they had thrown around a couple. They had approached. Quite a few different people. Um, and it came down to, if I remember, it came down to Anthony Michael Hall or Jake Busey. Okay. And we all decided to go with Jake Busey. So, um, and he was great to work with. I mean, your yeah, was, was my next question
0: is, what, what was it like working with Jake Busey and like having a name your He was in your chill. Film?
1: Like he was super chill. And the thing is like, well, I mean, he was laying around in the tent for most of <laughs> the thing that was difficult was like, if he had to pee, and we're inside, <laughs> you know, we're inside of his tent. And you got to remember that you got your two, you got your two other actors in the tent. You got Jake, who's like six feet tall, <clears throat> with a but his leg is in a brace because he's been injured. And you got the camera, you've got the audio guy. So we had to basically buy various sizes of the tent because we had to make it look claustrophobic in some angles. Yeah. But then we had to fit this the extra crew members in the tent too. So we were like, okay, we have to buy one that's a little bit bigger than what we need just to fit the crew in there. And all those tents were shot on a soundstage. So really the exterior of the tent and all the stuff obviously was shot in the, in the woods in the yeah. wilderness outside of Charleston. Um, but then the actual tent interior stuff was all shot on a soundstage. I love and knowing built, that. And they built like a forest around my so art director. Cool. She was, fantastic and um she uh you know worked really hard to make it look realistic because i i say when we shoot out out of the tent from the inside it's got to still look like the woods yeah you know what i'm saying so but we were able to control like the we, we were able to control the lighting you know easier that way and such um so, so that as was long as you go ahead
0: that was my filmmaker nerd question is the like night exteriors are those day for night or are those night shoots or do you the remember
1: interior was day for night so okay. you're inside the tent at night that was still during the day but we were on a sound stage that so makes we were sense it like moonlight but obviously everything outside of the tent for the most part was actually at night
0: that's actual at night just yeah it's so gorgeously lit like that film is gorgeous to look at
1: yeah and it was, so that, and, i mean kudos to the crew because we were I mean, it was like I came in with storyboards and shot lists and everything like that. And I was just like very overly prepared because it was because you had 12 days, 12 days. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So and it was funny because they kept going lower and lower. It started out as like they're like the producers are like, we're going to do it in 18 days. I'm like, great, perfect. Then they're like, hey, can you do it in 15? And I'm like, Sure. And then we got like right up to the wire and they're like, we got to do this in 12 days. And I was just like, Oh "Oh, my God. So yeah, there was about two weeks there where I was pretty stressed out and you just, there's no way around it. You just have to kind of jump in and, and, uh, um,
0: You just got to get it done. That's that's the job. Yeah.
1: And And there's not, and there's not a lot of time for a lot of takes. So I have to get in there and I have to just, you know, shoot as much as I can and get in the can and, and make the day. Um That very last scene with all the creatures in the woods, all that stuff, everything from them running to the, the four-wheeler, the entire finale was all shot in one day. And it was the most, I mean, to the point where we ran out of sun because we're shooting in December. So. Oh my report, God. Yeah.
0: I hadn't even thought about so, that. There's no yeah, sunlight.
1: There's no sunlight after about four o'clock. If there's no usable sunlight. So we had to use condor lights, big, 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 big condor lights, to basically make it look like it was still daylight out yeah. in the form. So we were shooting uh, night for day. So you're shooting that, day night for
0: night. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Right. So, um, so that was, and we had makeup effects on all the. Uh, you know, it was just it was just mind-boggling how how that day. But luckily, that day was leading to the day off, so everybody got their day off. <laughs> that so everybody could go home and just sleep the entire day and then come back refreshed the next day so God. i mean those are the kind of things that you just have to you know uh deal with and and um i made mean, i forged a lot of good relationships on that movie and and um i ended up um working on that cbs tv show the inspectors yeah, i was gonna ask about I, that how that happened yeah I, and i ended up working on that and, and that was shot in charleston as well so when i when I directed a couple of episodes, I was working with a lot of the same crew members.
0: Oh, okay. So and like, so, did you meet ahead. the people to like forge those connections while filming Arbor Demon?
1: Yeah. One of the producers went on to become this show, basically one of the show producers. Got for, it. Uh, the and so he contacted Michelle and I, and um, we started writing episodes. Um, so we ended up writing man, we wrote, eight episodes, maybe, of that show, and then I directed two episodes. And, you know, that show, um, working on Enclosure, Arbor Demon, was, was like, prep for shooting television, because shooting television is, like, we were doing ten pages a day, and it was just, like, yeah, it was insane. So you had to come in, and luckily, these actors had been doing the show for, you know, this was the third season, so they were... yeah. They knew their characters, so there wasn't anything I had to do in terms of like, "Hey, this is your motivation." <laughs> um, what I did have to do, though, is I had to get, I had to be very involved with casting the day players because they were like the, you know, yeah, the people who are in one episode versus every episode, and because I knew that if I didn't cast those actors correctly that I was going to be screwed because I was like, all right, I'm only going to have time for three takes.
0: Yeah. They've got to get it right. You they have to show up, do their job. Gotta correctly. The people, you
1: got to get people in there who are going to nail it so that you can keep moving. And so, um, so that, in that regard, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was tricky. I, I, uh, had a great crew. A lot of the crew members were from had also worked on, uh, enclosure. So, there was, um, you know, some shorthand with some of those crew members, but uh, for the most part, I was meeting a whole new group of people. Yeah, that's uh, so. That
0: was something that I was very intrigued about because that's an experience I don't have at all. Of like staff writing for a show that like isn't your conception. Like, yeah. they brought you on. You just wrote a couple. You, you and Michelle wrote some episodes. You've directed a couple episodes. Like, yeah, how strange difficult was that to just put yourself into this
1: other thing that show was maybe a little different from other shows in the sense that they basically um they had each episode was based on a real scenario i mean i don't know if you've watched the show but it's like it's like i always say it's csi for kids okay you know it's like each and each story involves some crime that involves the post office and so the postal inspectors are coming in to, to uh um solve the, the mystery and then you've got the the subplot involved involving the kids and so there's you know it, it's very much a kid's show um they would basically give us an outline for our episode involved which it was more like a beat sheet so they would create a beat sheet send us the beat sheet and they had said that everything had to involving the crime had to stick to the facts of what got actually it. happened so they had a guy who was like a postal inspector consultant and he would tell us okay yeah this is how it happened so we have to keep it fairly like factual in that regard so um and some of the plots were just goofy but they're like yep this really happened i'm like all right cool (laughs) um but then like we were given a little bit more flexibility with the interpersonal relationship stuff obviously they had to make sure that it followed the arc of this story that they were going for for that season but um you know we would turn in a draft, Michelle and I would go back and forth, turn in a draft and they would send us back notes or they would say this is great <laughs> and they were like <laughs> really okay. So um and then I so one of the one of the episodes I directed, I was I we Michelle and I wrote. Um so it was interesting cuz you know, I got to really take it from writing it to getting it, you know, yeah. shot. And then the other episode was written by I think the lead actress who played the mom on the show a couple other the writers, they I mean they had like three or four writers per episode, believe it or not. So everybody kind of, you know, you just had to be, you know, even though Michelle and I wrote the episode, we had we understood that stuff was gonna get changed, you know, yeah, the way it was. And even on the set on on, you know, on set it was it was changing. But the crazy thing was that again, we were shooting 10, nine, 10 pages a day, and it was a hundred and five degrees with the humidity and stuff like that and, and so we were shooting outside and and the actors had to wait till we were absolutely ready because otherwise they were just sweating and their hair would get all messed up and stuff so it was um it was interesting in that regard um but uh yeah it was definitely it, it's so far been my only experience doing uh episodic television at
0: this point. yeah so let's, I mean, it's cool that you've done that. That's I, an incredible I, I valued, thing to have on your I resume.
1: That it ended up get, the show ended up getting an Emmy nomination this last last season for for best uh, what was it best best something? It was a, <laughs> best kid show or something like that. Um, so um, it was great. It was good. It was a good experience. And um, and then I came back and I did um, the family film. Yeah. Which was a, again I, I had this weird like detour from horror to family you know and i don't know if that's why that is but it just (laughs) worked out that way yeah i was definitely i was
0: gonna ask about that because like your career very much is like even starting with like uh woman's intuition like there's a a horror lean to all of it you know mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden out of nowhere there's belong to us and the inspectors and i'm like where did that come from like is
1: that originally i didn't want to do belong to us because i got approached by the 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 writer producer was originally also going to direct and then she had some um health issues that come up so she approached me about directing it and i molded over for about a week and then i finally decided to do it so um i had to find that angle about that movie that basically would interest me because i was like okay i'm like what is it about this that I can kind of sink my teeth into for me, it was, um, the father daughter relationship. And I thought, well, I can relate yeah. to that. In some capacity. So I, I decided to go from that approach. And I kept telling Hanu that I wanted to shoot it. Like it was more. I know, where, what's the word I'm looking for? Not hallmarky. I didn't want it to look hallmarky. I wanted it to look more indie, and that's probably why I ended up getting a PG-13 from the Motion Picture Association of America. Yeah, which didn't surprise me because it has a dogfighting subplot. But I was a little surprised when they called. They like called and left me a voicemail, which is weird. It's always weird when the MPAA calls and leaves you a voicemail. <laughs> like, why do they call? It? And then you're like, oh, I got a PG-13. You know, it's very, it's kind of a surreal thing. And I think at the time I was actually at like a parent-teacher conference with my daughter. So I was like, this is a weird anyway so um so yeah so i did that movie and it found its way on the up network streaming service and it seems to be doing all right so you know um i was happy with it and uh so you just kind of i always say each movie you know you try to get to the next one and the next one and, and and um so um and i am lisa came about sort of because it belonged to us which was strange because because
0: little... Owen is in belong to us. And then right. his dad wrote, I am Lisa. Yes, yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. So he kept, when we were shooting belong to us, Eric was on set and he was like, Hey, I got this movie. I wrote <laughs> I'm just like, and you know, we're writing a movie or we're, we're doing a family film. So when he says I'm, I'm writing a horror movie, I'm like, Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I, I got excited about it. And, um, and I mean, that was 2016, 17 around that time. Yeah. and, you know, like flash back to 2018 and he's still talking to me about it. And, um, so I started kind of getting more hands-on with it. And then, uh, you know, we started doing some table reads in late 2018, early 2019. And, um, you know, I started kind of, you know, working with him with the script and I, I started giving some suggestions to it. Um, originally he had written the movie, um, to be a little bit more, uh, it had more male villains. So he and I kind of decided to kind of go more of the, the female slant with it and make it more the villains yeah. more, you know, all female villains. Obviously, Chris Bilsma still plays a yeah. jerk in that movie. But I wanted all the villains to be to be female, like the sheriff and all that, because I thought that would be way more interesting. And it would help the movie stick out more from a lot of the other revenge movies you see where there's a woman and she gets attacked by a bunch of dudes, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So uh, I felt like that was, and so we gradually, it was funny because we, as we were doing the table reads, we were gradually flip flopping, gender swapping all, <laughs> all the bad guys. I'd be like, Hey, can we get Sarah Maguire to come in? Hey, can we get, you know, Manon Halliburton to come in and let's just don't change the dialogue yet. Just let them read it. Yeah. You know, yeah. as themselves and stuff. And, and it seemed to be working. So, um so then flash forward he ended up uh finding some money to make the film obviously we had again a shoestring and it was probably my lowest budgeted feature that I've, I've ever worked on Um, and we shot it in 14 days which was like a massage compared to the 12 days Um but well, like I,
0: Enclosure has one location really it's the tent that's the
1: difference and that was the thing that so I don't know if I'm a glutton for punishment or whatever but I was like oh okay we've got this movie and it has like 13 locations and maybe more. I don't know. It's got so
0: many locations.
1: It's so many locations. And we did it in 14 days. And I was like, so the key to making it work. And I got to give Tony Ontiveros props too, because he was doing the production management and creating the schedule with me. He and I would go back and forth with the schedule and try to figure out, okay, it was a Rubik's cube. I'm like, all right, we shoot here. This group of scenes here, and then we find a location that's like walking distance from this location. <laughs> we can get all that done in one day. So like the bookstore that she works at in the movie was maybe a block from the Screenland Armor. Oh, wow. And then a, another block from the, that high rise apartment building that's down there that, that um, it's about a couple minutes from Screenland. It's this big high rise apartment. And that's where we made her apartment so we were like okay well we've got three locations right here that yeah. literally we could hop skip and a jump away you know and that made things you know easier in that regard um so we were very strategic in that regard so we were like always like okay so you know and then there was a gas station location that was like a minute from my house which is where or the um, it, it was the body shop and um and then we were also trying to figure out how we were going to get all the makeup effects done so most of the makeup makeup effects in in I and Lisa were like one takers because we just didn't oh, have wow. any time to do any second takes. You had to clean it up um, and do it again. Well, and then the park that we that that the deputy is killed in is also right by the Screenland armor, so it was like this. Basically, oh, it's like let's just turn that entire area into like a studio backlog.
0: Let's make the Northland our studio like right, that's what exactly, we've got exactly.
1: Yeah. So, um. And then we did a lot of locations in like Kearney and uh, Smithville. Um But yeah, we were able to get it all in 14 days. We had some, obviously some pickups later down the road, but that's, you know, nothing, yeah. nothing that big. And, um, you know, so that, and that, you know, we shot that movie in July of 2019 and we premiered it this last July, this July of this summer. So it was a one year turnaround which is the fastest turnaround the only reason i think it was that fast is because we were on lockdown and so i was like all right we got to get this movie done yeah we have nothing else to work on right now so um i was able to get so how did
0: you put it out did you did it do festival at all or did you it
1: premiered it premiered at fright fest in the uk okay and um so fright fest was the world premiere and it was in august and um, I think the stylist screen there in their October version too. So it was funny because it was like two features from Kansas City both screened at Fright Fest. Um, and uh, after that, we got picked up by a distributor. They put it out in some virtual cinemas in October, just as kind of more of like a way to, it was more publicity than anything. Yeah. And then January is the official release date. I don't know the actual, we're, we're coming out in the red box. In January I just don't know when in January at this point um so that's the plan so it'll be red box and then it'll probably be also uh streaming at the same time yeah so, so I'll be doing like Amazon and iTunes and Voodoo and all that stuff
0: that's awesome congratulations thank you yeah thank you. and so this whole time though like as we've been talking throughout you've you've done these four features but yeah. you've also shot so many short films and and beyond just shot a bunch of short films they're all very high quality with like incredible casts and crews and so i'm assuming these have a budget to them these short films that you're making
1: yeah yeah usually um though fused honestly fused was pretty much we just put that together we just everybody kind of volunteered their time because i know i wanted to work with nick james and he wanted to work with me so we were like let's create a project, Sarah McGuire. that was the first time I'd worked with Sarah okay. McGuire um, at that point. Um so that one was kind of like a we just kind of made it happen. Um spiritual practice, which is the one that just um screened at the New York City Horror Film Festival this last weekend, um that one I had a budget for. Um and so I, and I keep the budgets relatively tight. Um and it's they're always done differently. Like Everybody kind of asks me, they go, well, How do you find an investor? And I'm like, It's different every time. It really is. Like, it just depends on, you just have to talk to people and feel, you know, don't be shy, I guess is what I'm I don't know. How else, you know, reach out to people and say, Look, this is what I'm creating. But you got to make, unfortunately, at least in my journey, I had to make a lot of projects out of my own pocket or for free yeah. or pull it together. So that when you do go to an investor, you're not coming in saying, I've never made a movie before, give me money. And it just, that's a lot harder. So it's much easier once you've got some body of work to show, to go to an investor and say, look, here's the deal. And you have to be honest. I always tell investors with a short film, especially this is more of a calling card or getting your, you know, this is something that's going to play at festivals and maybe stream on some, on some, uh, I think a couple of my short films are going to be showing up on bloody disgusting TV. I don't know if you've heard of, do you know the website Bloody disgusting?
0: I'm not at all a horror guy. Okay. I've, okay. I've inundated my brain with horror for the past three days just to talk to you. I, I'm sad.
1: Cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So, you, you know, you have to be honest with people when it comes to, to, um, making a short film, obviously when it comes to a feature, it's a lot different. Um, so I am shooting one next weekend, as in, like, four days from now. Um, and um, and it's more of a sci-fi piece than it is horror. It has horror elements, but it's it's le- leaning a little bit more towards sci-fi. And small cast, only two actors, um, and shooting, I try to get it all shot in two and a half days, hopefully. So, um, and it's, you know, obviously we're all obeying the, covid precautions and everybody's getting everybody's getting tested this week so that they know if they have it or not before, <laughs> before we shoot um so yeah so and then i over the summer i produced that short film crockpot for ty jones okay and I, and I don't know if i sent that one to you no
0: i haven't um, seen that
1: I, I think you'll get a kick out of it i'll send it to you i'll send it to you awesome um, yeah um, and um so you know it, This year's been interesting because there's been, I've had about a shoot a month at this point. But I mean, I had a music video in July. I had um, a short film in June and um, various shoots across the board. But uh, it's been, I mean, for the most part, it's been very slow this year. But that's just, I mean, it is what it is. That's where we're at.
0: I definitely, I was going to ask about that because, like, to me, during the shutdown, it feels like there's like, uh, you're either you're big enough you don't have to work or you're too small like me to where you can't work because there's just like no way you can do it like in a safe way or you're the perfect middle like ground of success where it's just like i have to work to keep going and luckily i have the ability to do it with enough money that i can do it safely
1: yes and i think that's i mean i think you know luckily the shoots i've had have we've been able to you know, be safe, take all the precautions needed, get the lunches right because everything's got to be prepackaged and everything like that, and be smart about it. Um, I mean, the shoot with, with Ty we did in June was was, um, I mean, I think the crew was under 10 people. and we were able to find locations that would play ball with us because they didn't have anybody. We found a house where nobody was really living. Yeah, um, th- those are the kind of things you have to think about. But the music video I did in July, uh, was entirely outdoors. So everybody could kind of social distance and keep themselves. And obviously the same thing where we made sure all the meals were separated and all that stuff. Um, I had a shoot in September where we rented an Airbnb and that was great. I mean, obviously we were able to, you know, get in and get out and clean the place and make it look yeah know, safe for everybody afterwards. And again, that was a crew of like five people. So it's like, you know, we were able to kind of, um, I think it's a good time for, it's a tricky time, but you have to find those projects that work for, you know, if you've been doing like really small indie films, it's probably still okay. The trick is, is the unions right now, because yeah. you know, obviously if you're going to screen with, with SAG actors, there are a lot of precautions that need to be made. And and, um, I mean, and, and so it's, it's like, if you're, if you're working with non-union actors, you still got to be safe. You still got to take all the precautions, but you don't have to deal with the union on top of it. So, yeah, I think so. uh, So
0: where I'm at, just because like uh, me and my wife produce and direct and write all of our stuff. Right. I just feel personally that like, I don't have the ability to ask two actors that maybe on different levels of safety to act against each other and breathe on each other. And like, so everything I've done since shutdown has been me, my wife, uh, her family who we've seen the entire shutdown. Right. And that's it. Like, that's yeah. our, <laughs> we're like, that's our cast. That's our crew, which is fine. Cause our crew is generally yeah. me, my wife and her sister anyway. Sure. That is IX productions. So like, but it's, it's made it, you've got to think an extra level to be like, all right, how many stories can I tell with two to three people?
1: Right. And that's the thing is that this one I'm shooting this weekend is two people and they're isolated. They're in separate rooms. So there are things that I'm doing. I'm, it's, it's a pandemic style movie, but it, it's not the same thing. I know people are they're like, don't make a movie about, about a virus i'm like oh that means i'm gonna make a movie about a virus <laughs> damn it so um i so you know right you have to be you know with a music video it was one performer yeah it wasn't a band it was one performer um with ty Jones's short crockpot it was two actors yeah it, it, you know, so those the things you have to think of and the funny thing is that those are the things i think about anyway like i'm always thinking how do i make an interesting story with limited a- amount of actors and locations so my brain is already wired that way you yeah. know what I'm saying so thankfully and, and so in some ways it's like I'm, I'm writing a haunted house movie right now right and it has like two actors and, a, and a, you know and so it's like those are the things that i've been kind of already thinking about before this all happened um but, uh, obviously, things are a lot different in terms of keeping crew. You know, you got to, you know, keep the crew below 10. You got to, and I'm, I'm including the actors in that, too. Oh, wow. I don't want to, like, I mean, I'm talking 10 people on set. On set. set. So, um, you know, that those are the things that right now that are tricky. It, it was funny because when we were doing crockpot, it was June. So, it was still really pretty early. And things, restaurants were closing like, 8 39 o'clock, but we were doing overnight shoots. So, as a producer, I'm thinking, okay, I got to get lunch for everybody. What's open? Yeah. So, I was like, crap. You know, it was a three day overnight production. So, I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? So, each night I'd be like, okay, I'm going to just go to Hy-V and I'm going to go to their deli section and I'm going to like buy every pre-wrapped sandwich and just say, all right, guys, here's lunch, you know, because at that time, nobody was delivering. Yeah. I mean, it was very tricky. So, um, so those are the things that, you know, you got to keep in mind. Um, but uh, so I think my next project I've written, I'm right. I've got two screenplays I've been working on. One originally was going to be something I was going to do, try to do really on the cheap. And then I, it's, it's now kind of being developed by a different company. So it's becoming this other thing. So I was like, all right, well, this this one might take a little bit more time now because there's more people involved and there's more like, hey, let's change this character and let's make these changes here. So I'm going to let that kind of become its own thing and, and yeah. just have a bunch of rewrites I need to do on it. But then I'm writing a um, small haunted house movie and I hope to shoot it. Maybe I shoot it in February or March, depending on on time and, and who's all vaccinated at that point so yeah but it's gonna be one of those ones where i'm like all right we're gonna keep the crew very small and just try to get it um shot and uh you can do a lot with with sound effects and and such and uh i've always wanted to make a haunted house movie so and though it's 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 a haunted house movie but it's 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 a lot different than what i'm maybe saying it's not yeah an average house movie, so.
0: I, I always hate like talking about projects before they're like really conceptualized or like created because like, well, right, right, like right it's like this but it's
1: also not and i don't want you to know, decide it. <laughs> i know i know and i'm always kind of like well now i've talked about it now I, it's almost like i've blackmailed myself into making it happen i always tell people i'm like i'll keep talking about it because then i'm going to be too embarrassed not to make it now Oh, I so have to get this movie made.
0: I'll do the opposite thing way too much of where I'll, I just like won't talk about it. Pro- I will not talk about a project till it's finished because I'm like, I yeah. don't want someone to be like, Oh, Patrick posted about that thing. And then he never put it out. Like, yeah, I know. I know. He never made that. I'll thing. never,
1: Hey, I will talk about it with you, but I will not post anything about it on social media until it's done. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or at least, or at least in the can. Um. So, I probably like i said i'm not going to make it public knowledge on social media that i'm working on a, on a ghost story but you, you um, this
0: is being recorded you know that right
1: no. I that's fine that's fine <laughs> it's something there's something different about it though it's like it's okay yeah it's no i know recorded, but yeah. if i post anything on on my on my facebook wall it feels this, different this is
0: just like casual conversation that happens yeah, to be exactly, heard by whoever's exactly. your fan but, like, right. if you, like, post about it, it's, like, real. I understand. Yeah,
1: and then, then all of a sudden when people start liking it, and then, like, three years later, they're like, you didn't make that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the worst is that I've been trying to make a sequel to Nailbiter for years. And it's on IMDb. <laughs> I know. And that it's written. It's written. It was, it was very, very close. And then what happened was, like, I was going back and forth, trying to get some money for it. And, you know, it just gets very difficult. And I and Lisa fell on my lap and I was like, I'm taking this. I guess I'll just wanna, do this. Yeah. I want to do this because I, I was I was compelled by it. I liked the actors that were involved. Um, I thought, it you know, it had a fun concept and I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this. And so then you realize when you take on a feature and like, that's a year of your life right there, at least. Yeah. Maybe two or three. And so all of your other projects kind of start. They become moving. less important for just right. a little bit. And, right. And so, um, so yeah, it's like, one well, that's like my, that movie for me, the second nail biter is almost like this thing that I'm like, tr- I'm chasing after. And then I just, I'm like, ah, I need a break. I'm going to go work on this now. You know? <laughs> and so it's just, it's, and the thing is that the problem being is that um, it's been so long since we made the first movie um, the concepts behind the first movie—I don't know if you know—it's its a set up as a tornado storm movie, but yeah. then it becomes a monster movie, and the monsters. I the watched the trailer. Are, if that's yeah, helpful. the monsters in the movie—it's like imagine if a werewolf instead of a full moon, it was like a storm, and that's what tur- turns people. So basically, these creatures in the movie are connected to bad weather. Got it. So, that in itself for me, I could make 10 movies about that concept and I'd be like, that's, I, I love it. Like, so there's that part of me that's kind of like, I just want to make another movie set in that, with that idea, maybe. Yeah. And so I've written this script, but it's, it's like a, what, that's a, what's a good word. Instead of sequel, it's a tangent It's a tangent, it's like a tangent sequel where yeah. it's its own story. It's its own story, but it connects. It's in the to world the of. Yeah, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, that was my plan. Because that way, is, if somebody can watch it and go, okay, I like that. I didn't know it was a sequel to another movie. I'll go back and watch that movie, you know? Yeah. And there's also that little bit of, like, I don't want to do it wrong. So I don't want to, like, you know, it was different with I Am Lisa, where I was like, okay, I have this, this very small budget. And it almost became like a dare. I was like, we're going to work on this. We're going to make this movie for a very small budget in a small short amount of time with very talented actors and some makeup effects and really try to make it you know into something special but with with nail biter i'm kind of like i'm scared to do a sequel unless i have like a larger budget like i don't know what it is i want to have a bigger budget for it i mean so that's that's
0: so funny that you feel that way because i've got a movie that we made a couple years ago and like i'm now getting nervous to like say it out loud because uh i don't want people to know but uh but so, Zoink, uh, screened at yeah. KC Film Fest, same year as sure. Belong to Us. Yeah. Um, I've written a sequel. Yeah. I've got a sequel written. Is um, it Z2? Is it Z2? I I should call it that. <laughs> uh, I've been calling it Zoinked. Like, uh, oh, I like ED. that. Thank okay. you. Or Zoinks. The
1: mess? I don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Um, but, and like <laughs> the way I've written the sequel is in a way that in my mind, you could watch it and you don't need to have seen the first one. Yeah,
1: and that's the way, unless you're making Mad Max or Mad Max 2 or Mad Max 2 is one of those movies where it's funny because I think Mad Max is playing behind me. At least it was it was earlier. <laughs> uh I saw the Road Warrior before I ever saw Mad Max. Yeah. Right? You can watch Road Warrior without ever really seeing Mad Max. And that's and because still,
0: a lot of people didn't see Mad Max, and that's my plan with Zoink, is that like right. not everyone saw Zoink, and I want I desperately want a bigger budget for Zoinked. Yeah. But like, yeah. I am not at the place to have that bigger budget yet. So I can't, I can't make it in my mind. Like I just well, can't make I'm it. In, about now the I'm in
1: the same, I'm in the same boat with, if I ever want to make a, an I am Lisa too, because all the actors want to like, they're like, Hey, I know we're dead, but we want to come back. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, if we ever want to do that, then we're like, oh, we're in the same kind of situation where you want I'm, to do like, it bigger, bigger. Right. But there's part of me now. I don't know if it's just, I'm always kind of like, you know, it doesn't have to be bigger. It just has to be, it has to expand. It has to make yeah new choices. It has to be, you know, better in terms of story and all that. Yeah. So you have to kind of stop thinking like James Cameron and start thinking more like, you are you know, you're an indie filmmaker and you're trying to make a sequel, you know. But yeah, I, 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 you know, I would definitely, I'd be interested in making an I Am Lisa too. And there's been some back and forth with a script right now. And um, the lead actress Kristen Vaganos is the sweetest girl in the world, and uh, I'd love to work with her again. She's just great. Um, and uh, you know, maybe sometime I'll get Nail a second Nail Biter off the ground and call it something completely different. Then people watch and they go, "Wait a minute, is this a sequel? Does this take place in the same world?" Yeah, right. I, so, I mean, at some point, I you know, at some point I'll make it happen. But um, it's cool to
0: know that like you you have this. Uh like horror slant just naturally. Cause I was curious about like, if it came out of knowing that horror has a bigger indie market or like, was that a a choice you made or is that just what you like?
1: Yeah. It's just what I like. And that's, and that's really what it is. I watch as many horror movies as I can get my hands on. Okay, Um, And it's like, uh, it's, I could, I, I'm probably a pretty good person to have on your trivia team if it's if the category is horror movies.
0: Got it. Um, I would be dead. I, I watched Halloween for the first time ever this year.
1: No way. Really? Yeah. yeah. And that's okay.
0: like the only horror movie I've seen now pretty much. Okay. So
1: I was a kid in the 80s, right? And it was very strange because, you know, I think back to my, my daughter's – and it's interesting now because my daughter's childhood, is weird. You go to the Halloween store and they have all this merchandise for these characters – that are basically, were like the forbidden fruit of my childhood. Now you can buy Freddy Krueger socks or, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just a different, yeah. Different it's a different landscape. Now. Well, because now they're almost like Frankenstein and Dracula were to me as a kid, you know what I'm saying? Where they're like, they're I never thought about watered, that,
0: but you're so right
1: watered down. And they're almost like, they're just not.
0: They're everywhere.
1: They're, Pennywise is now the most frightening thing for my daughter. Like the new, Stephen king it movies like those scare her but like freddy and jason and she's just kind of like whatever um but as a kid you know it was one of those things where you go to the video store and like they had like the cardboard cutouts of freddy krueger or it's it was strange because you would go to the store and they would have freddy dolls on sale yeah and you're like they're marketing this character to kids you know and i'm like seven or eight years old and so um I became very interested in that. And the fact that my mom and dad were like, don't watch those movies. And then immediately you're like, well, why, why shouldn't I be watching them? Well, now so I really were... want to. Exactly. So that was what got me into horror. And so I got like into Fangoria magazine and I started buying issues of Fangoria magazine. And and I would count down the days when I, when I, when I was in high school, I'd go to every horror movie. I went to the opening night of scream when I was in high school. Like those are the things that I looked forward to um
0: I think my internet has dropped you
1: um so oh there you're back oh yeah you froze yeah yeah
0: that happened to me over <laughs> here and I was like oh no I got real nervous Where, but did
1: you did you hear what I, was I uh, did I cut out at all or you
0: cut out when talking about seeing all that stuff like we we're talking about oh uh,
1: I was just saying my my favorite my favorite series of movies is probably Star Wars but it has nothing to do with I'm ultimately a sci-fi guy. Too, okay. But I mean, I... Okay, so I've, I've watched... seen
0: Alien. Alien's a huge one for me. Yeah. I love that. I love Star Wars. I'm a huge sci-fi guy. Yeah. But I just never moved into horror. And I think the way you talk about horror of, like, it being the thing that, like, your parents were like, oh, that's not... Don't, don't look into there. Was kind of how comedy was for me. Because mm-hmm. um, my parents were like, they would watch comedy films and i would like sit in a different room and hear them laugh and they're like oh it's not you're too young for those words and yeah. so like and then stand-up comedy when i started listening to it they were like that's not appropriate you need to turn that one off And i was like well why is like so that's how i got inundated into comedy is the same way you did horror it's just different I have a very,
1: i have a very vivid memory i think i might have been four or five years old and my parents rented the keep which is a very kind of an obscure horror movie it's directed by Michael Mann, who um, is kind of... He's a famous director, Michael Mann. And uh, he did he did um, the movie Heat with, with Robert De Niro. Oh, yeah, I know Heat. Got Pino. it. But he did a horror movie in the early 80s called The Keep, which is like this very strange horror movie set inside of a castle, and it's got Nazis, and there's just this weird... Look it up sometime because it's very strange. But I remember I just laid by the door while they watched it and listened to it from under the crack in the door to see what the... And I remember hearing the dialogue and I'm like, I created this completely different movie in my head because then I ended up eventually seeing it like maybe when I was like nine or 10, I finally saw the movie. And it has Ian McKellen and it has like Gabriel Byrne and it has all, Scott Glenn. It's got these it's very interesting cast, but it's like it's interesting. You build up something in your head when you hear the dialogue and you don't see it for a long time it becomes almost like this mythic mythic thing and then when you finally see it you're like oh that's what it was the whole time okay whatever i mean and i think horror is some way some ways is like that where the parents your parents will be like don't watch this it's scary and then you build it up in your mind as one thing and it becomes almost like this this it's forbidden fruit in many ways and then you finally watch it and you're like oh Okay, yeah, eh, all right. I mean, the only movie that ever was ever that ever lived up to that was The Exorcist for me. That movie still scares me.
0: Okay, um, is it is it the whole demon thing or what?
1: I think it's just a... that movie. I think is is a masterpiece in tone. I think that movie manages to maintain a specific creepy tone throughout the whole movie. And um,
0: I need to watch I know it. It's, I, I know. Yeah,
1: it's. Um, I think it lives up to its reputation. Okay. Um, and I think some movies get scarier with age. I don't know if it's because of the way they look, the way the music is, or if the the, the the way it's shot. Sometimes the older the movie, the creepier it is. And especially se- horror movies from the 70s, I think, are some of the creepiest. Like The Omen is a terrifying movie, I think. Um, I have a hard time getting scared by new movies. Interesting. I, I have to really, like... I don't know, like newer movies have to work really hard to scare me and um and the things like for, for me, I also like movies like I Am Lisa where it's not the scary part isn't the point. It's not supposed to be scary. It's a horror movie, but it's more like fun and like I, I mean, I definitely
0: know? noticed you have like a comedic slant to your horror. Right? Is that like right. you like to I, I was telling my wife about it because I've watched them all and I was like His work is almost the antithesis of what we do because you like set up a comedic world and then something scary happens where I like to set up a world
1: that feels like it's going to be a horror movie. Well, It was like your pumpkin short. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I thought that was great. I actually commented on it on YouTube.
0: I know it Um, meant so much to me actually to see your (laughs) comment.
1: I was like, Oh (laughs) my God. (laughs) Well, I was just like, that was, I love that. It was funny. And, and um, those, I, I, you know, um, that's what well, like,
0: I, I love to build it up with a tension and then just completely break it with farts.
1: That's well, right, like, and so it is kind of the inverse of like the short film Rattle I sent you, where it's like comedic world, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god.
0: That one, you know, yeah, I showed that to my boss at work. I was like, you got to watch this for a minute. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: just it, it shook me when it first popped up. I was like, oh my god, and I was like, oh okay. and okay. <laughs> the thing was that that guy, oh my god. So. I, you know, I wanted to make something with my, I wanted to make that originally with Violet. That's my second daughter um, that's in the film. And I wanted to shoot that movie years and years ago when Violet was a baby. And I just, you know, I got sleep deprived. I was working on other things. And so you I had a baby. So, so, so when Willow was born, I was like, we're shooting this movie. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, Chad Crenshaw. And basically, it's like my, that is my wife in yeah. the movie. And like Chad Crenshaw is me. I'm like, Chad, you're playing me basically. And then I got you know, um, this guy named Bob, uh, Bob Barber, Bob Barber to play the monster. And um, he Jackie looks Butler, he's amazing. Jackie Butler did the makeup, and it was just like, holy crap! And she did it so fast, too. And the poor guy, like, he was in that. And the thing is, like, I I showed it to my, my mother, and she's like, I can't believe you made her cry with that monster. And I'm like, she was never in the same room with that monster. Like I, when we were filming her crying, it was it was my wife and I. Like, and then when the monster came in, I was like, the camera's where the baby was, so they were never in the same room together. So, I'm not a
0: bad dad, I promise. I was going to say
1: no psychological damage was done to my daughter. Oh, here, and here and here she comes. Hi. She's much, big, she's much bigger now. She talks and she walks. Hi. I think I I I figured she'd make a cameo at some point tonight. I like, love it. They they uh, it's funny because like whenever I do Zoom calls right now with with my meetings and stuff, it's like I'm just warning you. My kids are gonna make a cameo. They may not have clothes on either. Like <laughs> I'll put them in the bathtub. I'm like, you guys just hang out in the bathtub. I'm gonna do a Zoom call, and then I'm like, I can hear the water draining from the tub down the pipes. I'm like <laughs> any second now, they're coming downstairs. So. Yep. But, uh... Well,
0: I'll, I've got a couple more questions and then I'll finally let you go. Okay, I've taken okay up... cool. So, one question is that, like, so we talked about you've got all these short films you're making while you're making all these features and they have shoestring-ish budgets that you've magically gotten um, for shorts, which is crazy to me because, like you said, they make no money. Um. I guess, what is the strategy in that as a person that's also, like, making films I started making shorts to throw them on YouTube to try to keep getting traction. Is that kind of where did yes, it come from?
1: It, um so I like playing the film festival game a lot as I, I love playing I love playing my films at horror festivals and it's one of those things where you develop a fan base throughout the years doing these film festivals and the features take so long to make. Yeah. Um so you don't want it's just one of those things where you don't want people to forget about you. You know, and it's just true. You just want, and I'll be honest with you. For me, short films are very important in strengthening your storytelling abilities too, because you have to tell a story in a specific amount of time. And so um, I do that for that. I make short films for that reason. And it just keeps keeping my my work out there. And also I get, I allow, it allows me to work with new crews, new actors um that then i will then put in a feature you know what i'm saying yeah that makes that makes total
0: sense my dumb like i don't know idea was like well patrick ray is too like big to need to be making these shorts like he can just like make all his features you know like well
1: part of it's i just like doing it and that's awesome people i'm like I, i you know i love making short films and it allows people to watch something for 10 minutes and you know and check in check out really fast and in the meantime, I'm trying to desperately try to get the next feature off the ground. So, cause otherwise you do get very creatively frustrated, you know, like you can, you can, you know, between projects you're like, well, this specific film I thought was going to happen and now it's not. But at least I have this short film I can kind of focus my creative energy on yeah. and get out there and keep my name going with the film festivals and that way, when there's a feature ready, you know, because they're always these film festivals are always waiting for your next feature. So they're like, oh, uh, you know, keep getting the shorts out there to keep them, you know, keep stay in the forefront of their mind.
0: I mean, like, yeah, we've definitely used them to, like, be a way to introduce ourselves to a festival because, like, right. they only accept six features, let's say. But they yeah. accept 150 shorts. Yes. Yes. So your exactly. chances are bigger. And then once you've met them, you're like, yeah, I also have these great features that are in a similar style. And they're like, oh, well, send us one of those next year. And you're like, all right, perfect. And that's how you kind of get your foot in that yeah, door. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's it's a it's kind of a game in that regard, but it's it's fun. And I mean, and I, like for me, like I've gotten to work with a lot of cool new people doing short films. And it's like if those if those times of my life were spent just developing a feature, I feel like I just I don't know so it, for me like making short films i will probably always do it i will probably always do it and unless for some reason i get on a project that's gonna definitely take me 10 years yeah and it'll keep me busy for 10 years um and so i will most likely always be making a little because i do get criticized for that every now and then they're like well, why are you why are you making short films when you could be just making features and i'm like well i am working on a feature it's taking a lot of time <laughs> yeah and, you know i gotta raise the money and so you know there's
0: zero criticism for me. I was just curious. No, I know it's just
1: <laughs> it's funny it's it not I know it's just funny. I get asked the question, they're like, Well, you know, um, why are you still doing shorts? And I'm like, I just like doing them. And I think it's like if you're putting together it's like a single instead of an album.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to put it.
1: I don't know i else to you know, and so um yeah, and it also kinda it's it's food for the soul in many ways. Cause like I'd be like, all right, well, nothing's going on with my feature right now but at least you know this one's playing at didn't get rejected from this film festival yeah. so thank god for that you know um
0: yeah i've really grown to love them as like those little like it's i've got a little thing to put out and people are like oh, i saw your thing and like people will watch them quicker than they'll watch a feature because it takes less of their time and like well,
1: and you never know who's gonna see it yeah because a lot of these producers who are financiers don't have 90 minutes to watch your feature they want to see something quick So, like, for instance, spiritual practice, I I had a concept for that as a feature before a short. So, for once, I actually reverse engineered it as a short, and I was like, all right, I'm going to put this out there. And I've had a lot of people tell me they would like to see that expanded. Yeah, I would. And the same thing with Fused. I've had several people say, I wish that was a longer movie. I wish that was a feature. So... You know who knows you know uh quick question like something... about fused
0: quick dumb fused question okay. is uh filming on the streets downtown did you was that just super indie like running gun or how much I lighting did, a, did you I do did
1: outside of Tapcade, and um i had also been i was also doing some editing work for the Val exchange and they're both connected so the Val exchange and Tapcade were were like two buildings. I know, yeah, inside. I
0: knew where they were, and I knew exactly where you were. I saw it. I was like, "That's Tapcade!" Like- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So I just ran. Uh, we ran. We just did it. We just did it. And Got I, it. I knew that if, if I knew that those two businesses weren't going to complain, so I we just did it. And so then it was we used pretty runny. Behind Tapcade, yeah. Got it. Nobody cared. Nobody cared, and it was one of those things where, like, I talked to Adam Roberts beforehand, and I talked to the, uh, the owner of the Val Exchange, and I was just like, "Can I?" i'm gonna be in your alleyway he didn't care
0: it looked gorgeous no. and i was like man i want to know how indie that was or like if they like really like shut the street down or you know what i mean like no, set no, up lights really or very like... very
1: indie and and um uh i mean same thing for like the scene with the jogger I, 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 that was like 15 degrees and i made my wife run up the street as a jogger poor girl um and uh you know we just kind of wait and If i see a cop i'm like oh crap get the camera back in the car let's go. um
0: i love like, that you're still that indian ways that makes well, me really but,
1: but, with, but with i am lisa it was a little different so yeah. i ended up because we were doing drone shots and we we're doing a bunch of stuff. So i told the police what we were doing um and i wanted their you know approval few things i would you know so it, it was that one I was very, I, I tried to be as uh, careful as possible and uh, took care of the red tape for that one. But uh, for some of these shorts, it's it's like, okay, get out of the car. Let's get this really quick. It's all running right, gut. Run. I love yeah, that. Right.
0: That's great. All right. So I got, I got my last two questions. Um, number one is I've, I've started asking everybody. Cause like we're all filmmakers, we're all artists. I'm just intrigued. What are you watching? What are you reading? What art are you taking in right now? Yeah. <sighs>
1: I'm a huge Mandalorian fan, but I'm sure you're not surprised by that. Every isn't
0: everyone? Like Yeah,
1: like in fact I'm like I keep saying like I'm like, well, I just got to get to Friday so I can watch the next episode. <laughs> um I I've been watching I watch a lot of true crime. I watch a yeah? ton of true crime and um so whenever there's a new true crime show, I'm on that like like Netflix is is my thing for that. I've been I've been watching The Heaven's Gate one on uh hbo max which is a four-part series about a cult that okay that, that whole thing it was a mass suicide happened in, in the late 90s when i was in high school and i remember being intrigued by it um yeah, i was always very i i destined to make a horror movie about a cult i it just i it hasn't happened yet because nothing scares me more than that uh for me
0: i mean like i watched the vow and i was like this is crazy
1: like this the, is the nexium thing is terrifying yeah Yes.
0: it's it's insane
1: it's insane and um uh we've been watching um yeah, we've been watching the leah remini show about scientology
0: i need uh, to check that uh, out
1: yeah um and then uh trying to think what else i've been i mean I, I watch a lot of like i said i watch a lot of horror movies on top of you know, and I watch a lot of older horror movies. Like, i try to find stuff that I try to seek out things I haven't seen from the early 80s. I don't know why the early 80s, late 70s is kind of a sweet spot for me. What
0: and have I, you seen I, recently?
1: I, um, I watched a, a Italian horror movie called A Blade in the Dark. Okay. I watched that. I, I got, I have Shudder, which is a streaming service. That I know plays, what
0: Shudder is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It just plays horror. Uh, it's horror it's content, the streaming
0: so. service I don't want at all. No.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um and so um I've been watching stuff on that, and um I'm always trying to discover new horror movies that I haven't seen before. And every now and then I'm like, oh my god, there's a Thanksgiving themed horror movie that I've never seen. Let's watch it. Yeah, you know, things like that. Um but uh yeah, when it's not that it's documentaries or um uh true crime or um yeah, I actually I actually Did I I worked on a segment of uh, of a a show that's going to be on the ID Network, which is a true crime channel? Over the summer, I did I I, uh, did an interview that's going to be on some episode that's going to be a true crime show. So that was like I was like fanboying (laughs) out because I was just like, "Yes, finally, I get to work on a true crime show." Um, So yeah, I do watch a lot of stuff like that. I don't know why, other than it's just intriguing to me. Yeah. So
0: cool and then my 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 last uh question for you is if you had if you could give yourself like before starting all this a piece of advice and or somebody else who's looking at a similar career path as you a piece of advice what would that piece of advice be
1: i mean understand the business side of things i know they don't teach they don't they don't really teach you about distribution in film school and i feel like distribution is something i mean I'm always learning. I've been through it now four times, and I'm always—it's a constant. I always tell people it's—it's—it's it's, it's elation and disappointment at the same time. It's like you're excited, but yet at the same time, it's—it's it's, you know there are things about this distribution that no one tells you unless you're until you're there. And and um, so I feel like if I wish there was a course that Ku would teach, it would be. Something about distribution. Um,
0: So I'll ask, I'll ask the dumb question then. Like, what's a thing that you wish someone had told you about distribution? As as a filmmaker who's like only self distributed and just like doesn't feel like I understand how to even get to that step. Like, what is the thing that you wish you could would have known or could tell some dummy like me?
1: I mean, there are things that you wish that you could control better. Like, for instance, like. Now it's funny because the distribution process for I and Lisa, it's like, oh, okay, fourth time's a charm. Now I'm starting to really like find find ways to keep a little bit of control over, or at least be in the conversation for. Like, obviously, with enclosure, that
0: yeah, you lost title your
1: title, <laughs> right? Luckily, they didn't change the movie; they just changed the title. And I always say that could be it could be worse. It could be worse. They could have decided this movie needs more nudity. We're gonna throw some naked. A camper in the, middle of the movie, so i mean be cognizant of of things like titles poster art um there are things that you just can't control sometimes i remember when i, when I saw the nail biter poster for the first time that they were going to put in the red box and i was just like wow that's not at all what i was expecting or i don't like it but i got over it um and uh it's funny because with enclosure, it was like they changed the title to a title I didn't like, but then knocked it out of the ballpark with a poster. The, poster's the poster. The poster is incredible. Amazing. It's it's. I have it framed. I'm like I love the poster. So, um, you know, those are things, and and you have to be looking at different trends because they do affect you. Like the reason why they changed the title was because at that point, VOD was alphabetical. Now it doesn't really matter because everything streaming services, but in 2017, which is only three short years away, which seems like an eternity ago, <laughs> um, everything was alphabetized. So when, you, when movies were on VOD, A's got more views. They explained it to me. The A titles got made like hundreds of thousands of dollars more than wow. E or anything later. And they say, well, even if you, in like, if you could put a number in front of it, it's even higher up in the, because <laughs> they put the number. I'm like, what are you thinking? Like, what do we going to call it? Like once three
0: days in the wood,
1: I mean, hashtag enclosure. So um, those are the things you're like, I didn't even anticipate that, yeah. you know? So be aware of those trends because they do affect you in some capacity. Um, and, you know, like, try to keep yourself in the conversation with artwork because otherwise they'll just make a poster and they'll be like, this is your poster. So with I and Lisa, the, the new poster that they put out, because we had an artwork made. It was hand-drawn artwork. Yeah. And I was super thrilled with it. And it, I was very happy with it. But I knew that when we got to the actual distro part of things, that was going to change because that just, those t- those posters don't necessarily sell in the mainstream yeah so they create a more mainstream looking poster which will be for the red box but then there's going to be a different poster art cover art when it's in the walmart shelf that we don't have any say in so it's like oh this wow. very, like yeah there's a tug of war and you just have to know what hills you want to die on in that regard um but uh always just kind of be aware that the distribution process can be disheartening at times and you just have to be very careful have a have a lawyer, look over the contracts, and and you know make sure that you've not signed away your movie for a thousand years, and um, you know there are just some things that you just need to learn, and and I think that it, in some ways distribution is a necessary evil. I mean, unless you have the money to self distribute your own movie, it it you know you have to go with a distributor.
0: Yeah, so that, that's the key? go ahead. That's a dumb question. I guess I'll ask: Is that like, do you have a distributor you work with every time do you have a connection or do you have like a agent that sends to distributors or have you just
1: well now it's interesting because like the sales agent distribution model the sales agent and the distributor it's becoming a little bit more like the lines are being blurred maybe okay um i've gone with a different one each time and I, again like and I, I would go back to some of the other ones and again like it just this time it through various connections, we got this distributor interested. And I felt, I felt good about it. Something told me that it was a good decision. Um, I went with my gut. And so, you know, each time is a little bit, a little bit different. And you usually have to have a sales agent kind of negotiate. And so right now the distributor we, we have is also acting as a sales agent and selling our movie to different countries so we so we've sold i am lisa to the uk and it'll be coming out through a dist- distributor in the uk they just sold canada and so you know you you just kind of have to um uh, play the game and 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 i always tell people when you have a distributor check in on them don't like not i i'm emailing them constantly and they probably get really annoyed with me but <laughs> you know i just that's just the way you have to be otherwise you know, I remember the first time Nailbiter was on TV. I just happened across it. Like I was just oh, like, "Oh wow. What? I am like what? They didn't tell me." <laughs> so like it was this weird thing where all of a sudden it was showing on um chiller, which was a channel that NBC Universal owned, it was a horror channel, and it was just playing like a couple times a month on the channel and it was weird seeing my movie edited for television by the way. Um Cause they like blurred out certain things that were weird. And then they like censored out some of the profanity, but it was like, they blurred out in the movie, the girl is sending text messages and her um, screen is a hand flipping the bird with the text. Me- so they blurred the entire screen. <laughs> text messages are important to the plot. So like people were commenting on Twitter. They're like, well, what is she saying? Oh Cause they blurred God. out the text messages. I was like, well, and so at one point I I participated in like a a viewing thing with chiller where they could ask me questions while they were yeah. and they're like what is it the text message say and I'm like uh here, here this is what I this is what it says and so they were like okay that would be nice to know <laughs> um, you know but yeah there it's it's an interesting um distribution is an interesting animal and again like I had no idea you know Film school only really teaches you the basics of production, and I think that it would be nice to have a class that just focuses on distribution because ultimately that's the goal. You want to get your movie out there, yeah, to be seen, and so and that's the reason you make a movie. So, um, and it's interesting because like, okay, and I'm I, and I'm just I'm gonna be very transparent. When Nailbiter came out, we ended up selling to a sub subdivision of Lionsgate. And so they gave us a set amount of money up front. And then they went and sold it to television in a red box and then kept all the money for that. Got That's it. Set. So you don't see any of that now with the way we're doing things with I and Lisa, we're coming out in the red box, but those sales we're participating in, you know what I'm saying? Like we're getting, we're yeah. seeing some money. So you know, those are the things, again, I, I feel like I could talk about that stuff for hours and and such, but uh, it can be very frustrating um, and uh, you just have to keep a good sense of humor and, and stay in communication with, with them at all times, you know?
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much. I super appreciate your time and talking to me.
1: Great. Awesome, man. Take care and I will talk to you on Facebook or whatever.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Awesome, all Right. Take all
0: right, care. Bye. I really could. I could just keep talking to him. I could talk to him for forever. We, in fact, we even did talk longer after that. That's recorded, but I, I don't, it's not for you. That's just for me. <laughs> He's a wonderful guy. I'm so glad I finally got to talk to him. I've looked up to him as a filmmaker for a long time. Glad you got to hear all that wonderful advice. All those great antidotes. Antid- antidote, antidote, an- an- antidote, Oh, well, that's fine. And anecdotes. You get to hear all those great anecdotes. Like I said, the pod is leaving SoundCloud. It shouldn't affect you unless you're a SoundCloud person. And we've got the new podcast, First Timers Movie Club, coming soon. Thank you so much. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Have a good holidays. Love you guys.